You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. So we're in week number two of a seven series sermons, uh, seven sermon series, uh, looking at the I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And uh, if you haven't got one yet, you can grab a series guide that will just give you a kind of a big, big picture idea of this. Uh, they're out in the foyer. Uh, we're at week two, and we're looking at this statement of Jesus, I am the bread of life. And I want to begin this morning by just celebrating with you one of the great characters of the Bible, character that is intimately woven into God's whole plan of salvation, really from the beginning until the end. And that character is this. It's bread. Beautiful, mm. soft, 
nourishing bread. Some of you don't look convinced. Let me tell you, we'll just take a little journey through God's plan of salvation. We need to go back. We need to go back to one of the great, if not the greatest, um, event in the Old Testament, going back to the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, you have the, the rescue plan of God for his people from the slavery of Egypt. And it becomes a kind of type for God's big salvation plan that you are here enjoying this morning. And we see that on the very night that God is going to pass over his people in judgment and, and instead judge their oppressors, he, he commands them to keep this, this holiday, this perpetual holiday, celebrated today um, by Jews and Christians alike, the holiday of Passover. And he commands them at that time to mark that holiday with bread. You have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we pick up in the Gospels and indeed in John's Gospel in particular. You have this mark of God's goodness and grace that is signified by bread. Then you jump ahead a little bit in the story and now you've got God's people free of Egypt but locked into the wilderness and they're grumbling about how good they had it back in Egypt as slaves. And instead of just wiping them out, God showers his grace on them, even in the midst of their grumbling. He showers them literally with bread. Fast forward all the way to Jesus' own ministry and you have Jesus in his own wilderness experience where the Jews were in uh, the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus himself is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food, without water and Satan, the accuser, comes to him uh, at his weakest point in desperate need of sustenance and what does the accuser say to him? He tempts him with bread. Jesus spurns the temptations of the accuser and later on in his ministry, he will show the glory of God. He will demonstrate the magnificence of God through a couple of miracles that are referenced in all four Gospels, the the miracles of feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000 and he does it with bread. On the night before he dies, in the upper room with his 12 disciples, he sits down with them to a meal and he himself institutes a perpetual celebration, a perpetual feast. At that table, he says, from this point on, whenever you eat bread, you are to remember my body, which is broken for you. And he tears open a loaf an image of his own body being broken for his people. Earlier in his ministry, he will instruct his disciples, as he instructs us today, to daily, like every day, daily ask God for for bread. Because bread is wonderful. Bread is a miracle. It takes this 
incredibly abundant crop which is inedible and it turns it into this soft, palatable, sustaining food. And for most of human history, people have depended on bread just to get by day to day. It has the advantage of being incredibly fattening as well. And so a few years ago, when I was carrying a bit of extra timber, I, I, one of the things I did was just stop eating bread. You do that, and you will start dropping the weight. But here's the thing. For most of human history, finding fattening food was a good thing. Isn't that wild? Bread forms the very cornerstone of civilization. Bread is a gift from God. And today, in this passage, Jesus is going to identify as bread. Before we get to Jesus, though, I want us to jump back into the book of Exodus. And uh, this is so important for us. All through this series, you're going to see us jumping back into the Old Testament because Jesus, all throughout his ministry, and particularly here as he identifies himself as the I Am, None of that carries the same amount of weight and significance if you don't know the Old Covenant. And so we don't want to be any kind of church that just sort of camps in the New Testament as if that has everything we need to know. No, we need to go back to the Old Covenant to understand the New. There's a scholar I was reading earlier this week that talks about Jesus in his ministry, particularly in the book of John. It's like he's wearing a coat of many Old Testament references. It doesn't have the same kind of you know, ring to it as, as Joseph and his cloak of many colors, but there's a point there. Like Jesus, all throughout his ministry, is putting on this coat and, and revealing something out of the Old Covenant that finds its fruition, its climax in him in his ministry. So, jumping back into Exodus 3, this is where we see God himself revealing himself to Moses. We were there last week, we'll probably be there every week just to remind ourselves. Remember, God wants to bring his people out of slavery. He's going to use Moses and Aaron to do it. Moses isn't sold on the idea. He knows the might of Egypt having grown up in it. He's not 100% sure what kind of authority he takes to go and demand from Pharaoh the freedom of his peoples. And so when when he encounters God in that burning bush, this is what happens. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God simply is. He is not contingent on anything. God simply is. For eternity past and into eternity future, God simply is I am. And the people of Israel... um, This became for them the sort of centerpiece of their entire theology. It was so sacred to them that they wouldn't even utter the Hebrew word for I am. They would only write it out in capitals, Yahweh, Yahweh, the the I am. That's who we serve, that's who we worship. So, 
jump forward a little bit again, and we're back at the Passover in Exodus 12. God says to the people in the midst of this chaos, right, they're about to just get like ejected out from Egypt, out of slavery. The angel of death is coming to do justice, and they are going to be passed over. They're going to be saved. And so God says, this is going to be a holiday. He says, this, this day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. You are to observe the festival, God says, of unleavened bread, because on this very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. So this is a big deal for Israel. We as Australians, we'll take a holiday for whatever reason. Like, yet, what is it? Like, we're celebrating, I don't know, um, grand final? Yeah, we'll take that. We'll take that as a holiday. Anything, like anything. Horses running around, we'll take that. Just, we'll, we'll have anything. And we won't very often even consider what the holiday is for. Tomorrow is one of them. Most people don't know why we get the day off. It doesn't matter. It's a day off. And so that's not the case for Israel. This is a, a, a festival, a holiday that they have to approach very mindfully. And there's all kinds of rituals and rhythms that go into this to, to train the minds of the people of God on the grace of God in setting them free from bondage. That's Exodus 12. Jump ahead again. We're in Exodus 16. And, and again, we're in the wilderness. We've come out of Egypt, not yet into the promised land. God's going to have to do a whole lot of work on our hearts and discipline us to, to prepare us to enter into that rest. And the reason is that we're morons. We fail to see the goodness and grace of God in being free. And so we grumble. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. That's like the most toddler thing to say. I wish I was dead. If only we had died. When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. What's the response? The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. God's response is one of grace. He rains bread from heaven and they call it manna, which literally means, what is it? That it like, it's just, it's it's. it's it's miracle bread. 
And so he provides for them. Day to day, just enough for each day. He gives them their daily bread. Now we shoot forward and we're in John chapter 6. And and Jesus is performing these signs, miracles that are meant to be signposts beyond the thing that he does. Signposts that point us to God himself. He doesn't want us to get preoccupied with the sign. He wants us to see it and be pointed to God's goodness and his grace, to God's plan of salvation, which is being unfolded in his very ministry. And so we pick it up in John chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 4. Now, the Passover, remember that? The Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, it says, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them in 12 baskets, just like the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus performs this sign and the echoes of God's provision of manna in the wilderness are replete. There is no one there who doesn't get it. When they see the 12 basketfuls, they get it. This whole thing is is just laced with symbolism, signage pointing to God, the provider, to Yahweh. Jesus' popularity just blows up. He already had a great crowd there in the first place. Now, more and more people want to know who is this prophet who is to come into the world. So the next day, let's pick it up in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus says, truly I tell you, you are not looking for me. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs, 
but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Annoyed at him because he would get these great big followings and then he would just carve them up. Jesus is not some kind of guru figure trying to grab a whole bunch of followers. Jesus sees the motivation of their hearts and he points it out. He's very direct. The sign was meant to tell you something. It was meant to point you away from bread. And yet you're here obsessed with bread. You're thinking only of your stomachs. You ate the loaves and were filled. That's why you're following me. And for anyone who has ears to hear, there is an inevitable question we have to ask ourselves here this morning. The question is, why are you here? Why are you here? What is it about Jesus that you're attracted to? What is it about the gathering of God's people that brings you? Why are you here? Jesus says, I am not your cosmic baker. I'm not here to fill your bellies. Why are you here? Well, what is it, Jesus? What should we be here for? What's the thing that's within all the other things, the thing that's the, the most precious thing that you want us to be here? What's, what's the motivation that we should have to be your followers? Verse 28 to 29. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Why should we be here? What can we do? Jesus says, it's not about doing, it's about believing. You must believe. You must see God extending a hand of grace to you and receive it. You must see Jesus as God's instrument for the salvation of the world. The Son of Man, the promised Messiah, you must see him and receive him. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Why are you here? It must be for Jesus. There are all kinds of peripheral things that come along with faith in Jesus, being part of a worshipping community, love, friendship, fellowship. All of these things come along with it and this banquet of God's grace. But first and of utmost priority is that you're here for Jesus. Believe in the one God has sent to be the saviour of the world. But they want to focus on the bread, all right? They want to bring it back to bread. It's morning now. 
They're hungry. So they want to bring it back to, to bread. They want to bring it back to something that they can consume. So in verse 30 to 31, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What can we get, is their question. What are you going to give us? It's a bold claim to say that you are the one that God has sent into the world for the salvation of the world. So what are you going to give us? What do we get out of it? Something here and now, something, something we can consume. This is human nature. What can I get out of this? It's human nature and therefore it is a weakness that people can prey on. And the predators in this scenario are the prosperity preachers who go around the world on their private jets offering people stuff. Come to my ministry, give to my ministry, fund my jet, and you will get stuff. And they go to the poorest of the poor because they're the people most desperate for stuff. Come to Jesus and give to my ministry and your kids won't die anymore in childbirth. Your crops will grow. God will prosper you with material possessions and wealth. And these snakes, these serpents, come to the most vulnerable of the vulnerable and offer them Jesus as a way to get stuff. What are you going to do for us, Jesus? Where's the bread? But Jesus wants to draw these people. He wants to draw us out from our stomach. He wants to draw us out from the here and the now and the immediate material stuff of this world that we so desperately desire. He wants to give us more than that. So he says, verse 32, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am the bread of life. Something that's important to understand with, with Jesus, um, and it's a little bit nerdy, but it's really important to understand. In, this, in the Greek language that this is written in, the Greeks are much more precise, much more technical in their language than we are. Am I right, Marios? Amen. All right, so 
they have two words for life. We normally make do with one word for everything. They have two words for life, I think four words for love. All right, so when it comes to life, they have this word bios, which is where we get our word biology. It's, it's life. It's, 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 it's physical life, the life that you see all around you on the planet, bios. And then they have another word, zoe. And zoe is, is it, it means life, but it means something different than just biological life. Zoe is like a quality of life. It's a richness of life. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he says, I'm the bread of Zoe life. When he talks about eternal life, he's talking about Zoe life. When, when the book of Revelation says there is a book of life, where everyone's name who knows God and trusts him, who'll spend eternity with him, their names are written in that book. It's the book of Zoe. My boy Judah is hilarious. Some of you don't realize this because he's pretty shy in groups, but just at home, he just, he's just rattling off hilarious lines. And he's done it his whole life. And I remember him being like four years old. We had this um, couch, this this horrible couch that we got off the side of the road somewhere. It was grimy and it was just full, full of crumbs because Judah, from as early as he could, just mows through what he calls his crunchy munchies. All right? So anything, anything that's crunchy and munchy, he will, he will hoover it up. And so I remember when he was like maybe four years old and he's sitting on this grimy, faded couch and he's just surrounded both by crumbs and packets of stuff that he's just pulled out of the pantry. And the, the TV is on something like the, uh, uh, almost certainly a documentary. And, um, and he just sat back and he just looked at me and said, this is the life. <laughs> and what he means is, this is the Zoe. This, this is the, this, the, there is a quality of life here that is full and abundant. I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest, abundant life, Zoe life. And Jesus' point here is that there are two different types of life that you can pursue, two very different types of life, which is why he gets very, very clear in verse 47 to 51, he wants them to be under no illusions about what he's talking about. Truly, I tell you. That's what he says when he's really serious. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Anyone, anywhere can eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. He is the bread that is broken so that we might have life. It's the bread that dies 
and then is raised again so that we might, though we die, yet will we live. We're going to see that in a few weeks when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the bread. And anyone, anywhere can feast on it and have eternal life. Red Door, today you need to choose your bread. You need to choose your bread today. Very often I find myself outside Baker's Delight down here in the shopping center with my kids uh, just in front of that big showcase of bread and they will just wander around looking for the thing that they want most. It's almost never whole meal, all right? That just goes without saying. But I'll stand there and I'll wait and they'll choose something out and they'll say, Daddy, can I please? India, she's all about the, uh, the scones. White chocolate and raspberry scones. Can we have the scone? Can I have the scone? Jesus says there are really only two types of bread. There's bios bread and there's zoe bread. And you need to choose the bread that you're going to eat. There are two mouths for these two types of bread. There's the, the mouth of bios. There's your mouth that eats and consumes and digests. And then there's the mouth of faith. And the mouth of faith needs to consume the bread of life by faith in order to have eternal life. Verse 49, let's read it again. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. That bread was miracle bread. It was the the reign of God's grace for his people, even in the midst of their grumbling, even in the midst of their treason. God showered them with grace through miracle bread and yet those who ate it died. It was enough for the day, but it wasn't enough for eternity. Jesus says you need to eat both the bread that sustains you through the day. Give us today our daily bread, Jesus instructs us to pray. You need that bread. But you must, with the mouth of faith, consume the bread of life, the flesh of Jesus. Here's the thing about bread. It's great, but your body burns through it fast. Any type of carbohydrate energy is like, uh, it's like kindling, throwing kindling on a fire. It flares up and it gives you a burst of energy, but it burns fast. You eat your toast and your porridge in the morning and by about 10 o'clock you need some more. So it is with any kind of bread that we try to consume to be filled, something that we consume to give us satisfaction, something that we consume to get us through this life. Anything that we put on the table to satisfy our souls will be burned up. Just think about it. Think about all those things. 
that you depend upon for your sense of identity, satisfaction, pleasure, and joy, all of those things that we laden our table with to give us meaning and purpose, all of them get consumed, and all of them need to be repeatedly consumed to do anything for us. Just put, just put in the blank, fill it with money or relationships or success at work or looks or what, you know, fill the blank. Everything we put on the altar to feed ourselves with gets burned up so fast. This is why we need new products every couple of weeks. We need replacements. Because all of these things are consumed and burned up so fast. And Jesus is the only one who offers us something substantial. Your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. Everything fleeting, everything bios will die. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. How is that possible? It's because he's the only one with anything of eternal substance. Verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That's a promise. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. God the Father, creator, sustainer, provider of all things, through his son Jesus, has promised to give you something that will last in the midst of a whole buffet of false promises. In the midst of this this sort of endless sea of things that we can pursue to satisfy our hunger, to slake our thirst. In the midst of all of that, Jesus stands alone and says, I have bread and it lasts. So today... Today's the day. Come to the bread of life. You who are weary and heavy laden. You who are hungry, desperately trying to fill your stomach with substance that rots. With bread that goes moldy with food that gets burned up. Come, come, come and be welcome. Come, anyone, anywhere, come. Come to Jesus. He is the bread of life. Come to the table. We're going to finish today by sharing communion. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ his flesh that was broken for us. Come to the table. 
receive. You'll get some bios bread, but look past it. Go to the Zoe. Jesus is the bread of life. Come and feast. I want to leave you with this beautiful promise. And I need you to hear this coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. We are but conduits for his word. Let me just read to you very simply his words in verse 37 and following, and then I'm going to pray for us uh, and invite us just to sit, to hear a, a, a song of praise be sung for us, and to ask God himself to satisfy us. Jesus says this, and he never lies. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your faithful servant, John, who wrote it down for us. And I pray that John's purpose in writing his gospel would be true for us today, that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we should have life in his name. I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to us as we listen to this song, and that you would grow in us a sense of hunger for the bread that will satisfy us and that will give us life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.